does good forever guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode i probably lost it a bit too much i threw a bottle um into a changing room um, at half time and it's gone through the changing room wall out the other side you know and the whole dressing room was like fucking out you know and that i think that and, and that wasn't a show thing that was a genuine i was I couldn't believe what I was watching. You know, we weren't following the game plan. And I think that was also a sign of respect in terms of, okay, this kid's not gonna take, not gonna take your shit to a certain degree. Um, they didn't know that already, they sort of knew that now. Uh, I'll be in Forbes under 30. I can guarantee that. Um, 21 now, I think where my company, where myself can go with other businesses within the next eight, nine years, I think is crazy. I think I have the ability and I think I've got a reach to do that. And I also think I managed in the Premier League, which brought me a lot of, yeah, stick to a certain point when I said that in a few papers um, and a few weird DMs from people and this all that. But no, I, I, I do believe that will happen. I do genuinely believe that will happen. You know, someone said, have your own opinion. Have your own opinion because, you know, if you don't, then what's, what's the point of you sort of being in the conversation at all? You know, I, I see some of my friends even, I have a go at some of my friends sometimes because someone will say something and the easier thing to do is just to agree to what they're saying. And I'll always be the person to turn around and say, that is crap, that is absolute crap. Like it or lump it, I just don't agree. You know, so, um, no, totally unembarrassable, I think is key, key trait. I think it's actually more important than hard work. You can work as hard as you want. Have an accountability within myself. So for example, I have just notes on my phone. How many times a day am I posting on different social media channels? Um, remain consistent on that, owing it to myself a little bit. And he's here. He is here. Cristiano has entered the building. Welcome, wherever you are, to the Old Trafford Theatre. Welcome back to this episode of the Sculptor Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sammy Leonard. Now, Sammy actually reached out to me and I went through some of his stuff and I was very impressed and I think that you guys will be very impressed as well so what today's episode is called age is just a number and Sammy if you could give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you're doing that'd be amazing yeah no problem mate I mean firstly thanks thanks for having me on um I love talking about myself so um no we're all good um so I, I run a sports management company. Um, I'm 21, 22 in a couple of months. And I was lucky enough to sort of get given the title of youngest manager in the UK ever at the back end of last season, which, you know, um, brought me some some wanted and unwanted media attention to, to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, that's a very brief rundown of, of sort of what I'm about, mate. Yeah, awesome. It's a, a very interesting one. So now we're going to go through the 10 quick fire questions for you. Starting with, what is your, or who is your favourite football team? Manchester United, through and through, mate. All right. And the best tactical team? Same Manchester City. Um, I think the way Pep plays is, is unbelievable. And is he also the coach that you take the most lessons from? He certainly is. I think yeah. he is. For me, he's the best ever, yeah. Okay, and best tip for taking accountability, whether it's for players, whether it's for anyone, one tip. I think, the, for me, the best tip, and there's no real way to shorten this, for me, the best way to take accountability is to remember that your journey is different to everybody else's and to sort of pace yourself depending on what you feel like you can do. I think too many people look at TikTok and Instagram and look to these different people to inspire them and I'm going to be accountable because Arnold Schwarzenegger is accountable. Do you know what I mean? I think it just depends on your your personal situation. Um, try and be as consistent as possible um, and I think accountability will, will come with that. Yeah, that's, that's actually very interesting to hear from, I guess, the other side because maybe people would be looking at you and, and, and saying and putting you up on that pedestal and thinking the exact same of what you were saying then. So that, that's quite interesting to actually hear from, from your side. Sure. Uh, the biggest coaching lesson that you've ever learned? What question? The biggest coach I've ever learned? 
I would say never be too high, never be too low is the biggest is the biggest one I've learned. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll expand on that in a bit, but that, that's yeah. the one go. All right. Now, do you prefer a beach vacation or a mountain retreat? It's got to be beach vacation, mate. Yep. The way. And the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a good one. That's a good one. That's one that that that's one that might stick me a little bit. Best piece of advice I've ever received. I think take each day as it comes. Um, I think too many people think about next month, next year, next five years. I think if you're accountable, as we said, and you're consistent, and you show up every day, your results will come over you know a certain amount of time. Social media content, for example. I've heard loads about, you know, how do I get myself out there on socials, all that sort of stuff. Post three times a day. You know, I struggle with it and I need to be better at it. But you post three times a day on TikTok, for example, you will do well. You know, if you don't, the results may not come. So that's probably the best piece of advice, I think, I would say. Yeah, Awesome. And one thing on your bucket list. One thing on my bucket list, to manage in the Premier League. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one reason why I was thinking, okay, Sammy, I could, I could see I could see you coaching in the Premier League. I'll get him on early. I'll get him on early. Man, fingers crossed. <laughs> awesome. Um, now let's go into the start of your career of football. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a player originally, right? Yeah, yeah. Played myself. Yeah, played myself. Yeah. So if you can go into the very very beginning of football. Now for you, I'm sure that football has been consistent throughout your whole life. Um, for me. As an Australian, football's new. I think I've been playing it at, at a good level for maybe around six years now. Where for yeah. someone like yourself, you were probably six years old when you started playing football. Um, yeah. But going into that and then kind of also explaining what what it looks like for you and where you wanted to take football as well. Okay. Okay. Um, listen, football... Football was sort of all I knew growing up. That 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 was the main thing. Um, I knew from really really young that I was going to go into football in some capacity. In terms of age, I remember taking football quite seriously from about eight nine, and really thinking in, even despite being that young, feeling as if something happened here. There'd be some sort of career involved in football here. Um, even even that young. And the biggest thing for me is when your family start. I remember being in group conversations where you're sort of nine, ten years old, but you would hear your mum and dad talking in the corner about something you've got going on with your football, or you might hear grandparents talking about it. And that's when, in my brain, it was almost like a little switch. They were having those conversations because they were obviously seeing as, you know, grown adults, there's talent here. There's something here to work with. And as a parent, I'm, I guess that's an exciting it's an exciting thing. You know, your child has, has maybe got something that the other children don't have. And, and I knew that playing local football where, you know, I'd be scoring five, six goals and someone else would be scoring one. And just simple things like that. I knew from quite young there'd be something there. Um, I think as I sort of grew up and I started getting attention from professional clubs and all that sort of things, I think my... Again, we'll, we'll go on to this, I imagine, but my biggest problem, mate, was... I wasn't. I'm not built to be a professional footballer from a personality point of view. I'm not, um, and I, I've I've come to terms with that now. You know, some some things due to me, some things due to not. Uh, and what I mean by that is, from an ability point of view, uh, I know it sounds cliche. I could easily have played at the top level, um, and if you played with me, you know that. Um, and it's one of the reasons I've managed so young. I I, I had a lot of ability. Um, problem I had was I couldn't adhere to rules never been able to do it um and that's been a blessing but that's also been a curse for me in football um from a curse point of view you've got a point of view where if i'm a coach and i've been it right if you've got a player who's extremely talented but he can't follow instructions or doesn't listen that well it's an easier job for you to get rid Okay, and I look back now and I would have dealt with myself differently because I was very young when I had these sort of, not personality problems, but I had a bit of a listening issue where I always thought I was right, which in reality at 9, 10, of course you're not, you know, and leading up to sort of 16, 17, I had the same sort of thing. 
but I, I, I thought I was. I thought I could see it better than other people. Um, and I think coaches found it easier to get rid of me and to get that distraction from a team out rather than nurture me and work with the ability that was there. Um, because I speak to lads, friends of mine now who are playing, you know, I've got friends playing in the Premier League. Um, and I speak to some friends now who are playing in the Premier League who genuinely would probably tell you at the same age, around 12, 13, 14, 15, they couldn't um, lace my shoelaces. Not a chance um, in terms of ability level. Um, and I knew that, 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 you know, I was always playing up a year. Um, I sort of started getting professional club interest from, I think, around 11, something like that. Um, and then from about 11 to sort of 18, 19, my sort of professional youth stuff was was, was happening. Um, but listen, I mean, I, I could be all day with different with different stories, but my, my biggest thing for my youth, mate, is thinking, okay, I'm talented, but there was a definite issue with me and my personality because I was also moving from clubs a lot. I was going from different club, one club there for three months and then other club. And there was a me issue in there. And it did. It took me until about 18, which is probably a little bit too late, to realise that I was a big problem here. Um, and listen, would I have dealt with me differently? Would I have dealt with myself differently as a coach? 100%. 100%. But two things you've got to learn in football. Firstly, people in football are as thick as pig shit. Okay? And that sounds harsh, but it's completely true. Um, as a business owner now and having managed, people are thick in football. There's a reason they're footballers. Some of them are talented, but you take the football out, they'd be on the Brickland site. Okay, so let's let's make that clear. Not all, you know, I don't want to generalise, but a lot are. Um, and they have that sort of cliche because it is accurate. Um, so if I'm, a, you get these coaches who can coach well, but they don't really understand why there's kids messing up and playing up. And rather than sit back and go, do you know what? Maybe we've got to work with this kid. Maybe he's just young and needs to learn. What they actually think is, yeah, we'll just get rid of him. It makes my job easier. You know, I'm I'm getting paid, let's say, 30, 40 grand a year. Do I really want to be dealing with this kid who's just constantly causing me a problem because he never listens to what I'm saying? You know, so a lot of these coaches, I think, found it easier to to get rid of me, mate, I think. Um, but yeah, my youth was was an exciting one, but also one that was ever-changing. This is how I would sort of conclude that. Yeah, interesting. And And adding on to your point, in football, people are... And th this is with um the most the utmost respect for anyone in football mm. to a degree you have to be a little bit let's say not fully with it and that's mm. actually th there's a reason for that and it comes with one you you need to have an ego and you need to have an ego of which is not fragile the slightest which comes with a lack of self-awareness which sounds counterintuitive but to play football and to get into football at a high level, there needs to be a lack of self-awareness in terms of, let's say, your perspective, how good you think you are, because there's always going to be someone underneath you who is doing more, who is working harder, who is putting more effort into other things than you, and somehow you have to convince yourself that you are worth a position to start in the starting 11 than that other person who may be arguably deserves it more but just because you're older just because you've been there for a bit longer you have to then think and believe completely that you deserve to be there now someone who's very very self-aware probably would not feel like they should be there because they know someone's doing more than them now i would also argue that same person probably would start to do more so they feel like they deserve it but in football to a degree, there has to be that level of being thick, which it it's, sounds counterintuitive. But to also um, ask you a question on what you were saying. So you mentioned that 18, you started to get that self-awareness that, okay, maybe I have a problem here. And at 18, what was it looking like for you in terms of progressing your career? Did you want to take that next step? And if so... What did you actually think the, the, the next steps were? Or did you think, I'm the problem, I need to stop now? Mm. Yeah, no, listen, mate, I think great question. Um, and totally agree with you on the on the point regarding being a little bit away with it. You know, that's that's 100% valid. I don't, I don't think I could agree more, to be honest. Um, I, again, this all sort of built into my sort of story that has sort of been developed, but I... What happened with me is I, I'd been in the professional scene in England and it wasn't quite working 
how I thought it was going to work out. You know, I was still in and around the professional club, so I was signed to Northampton's Academy, and I found myself at Luton's Academy, which is obviously a premiership side now. Picked up an injury, found myself sort of filtering a little bit lower down the pyramids. Was at Boreham Woods, who was sort of the lowest level of professional football. Um, was training with the first team, was a sort of best reserves player at sort of 16, 17. Um, going out on loan, started to earn money from football, but I was in a position where I felt like I was regressing a little bit, um, despite having qualities, I would say. So I made a decision at around 18 to, to head to America on a sort of scholarship out there. So I got given a, a, a big scholarship to sort of go and play top-end uni football out there whilst getting a degree. And I, for me, I sort of saw it as a bit of a fresh start. I thought, okay, other side of the world, focus fully on my football and my degree, get rid of the distractions and just start trying to take some accountability here. And I look back in it and I, I did have a bit of a bad experience genuinely with the with the America thing in terms of my coach. I mean, if we're being totally transparent, it was a dick. Okay, as, as a bloke and a lot of people had problems with him. Um, and for that one, probably wasn't as much of a me thing. There was a genuine disconnect with a the coach there. Um, I'd gone to America, spent a year out there. Um, I was on the verge of transferring from the university I was at. It wasn't really working out for me after a year. Came home um, at a Christmas, took my COVID vaccine because um, I had to. It was sort of COVID rules at the time to get this certain vaccine to to head out to um, back out to the states. Took it. Um, and I got a blood clot uh, in my lungs. So um picked up a blood clot in my lungs and I've not got back to myself two or three years on um, due to multiple issues. So that halted my football career at 18, 19 uh, completely. So I picked up a, uh, a PE in my left lung, so pulmonary embolism. Um, after taking my Moderna second jab, rushed to hospital. Um, I then picked up Again, this uh, people look at conspiracy theories and all that sort of stuff, but I picked up something called long COVID. So I'm still, I've been on medication now for about 18 months on it, which is basically sort of COVID symptoms continuously. I've had that for about 18 months, um, which was probably worse my blood clot. You know, I couldn't get out of bed for about a year. Um, I had severe issues. I, I'm allergic to penicillin. So there was a lot of health complications. And I, I didn't actually have health, prior health issues before the vaccine. Um, and listen, that, that's, that's a different story in terms of the vaccine and stuff. And I know people have got different views. And just to make it clear, I'm actually not anti-vaccine despite being damaged by the vax. You know, my NHS records say that I was damaged by the vaccine. And that's the NHS. So if they're admitting it, there's probably some truth in it. Um, but I also appreciate some people need the vaccine and it's right. You know, but for me, it didn't work. And from that, and I started to recover and I found a good doctor and all these sort of things. But... I haven't exercised now in about two or three years properly, you know, gym or anything like that. I've not played football in a long time, apart from the old kickabout. Um, as I was sort of recovering from my blood clot and non-COVID, my America journey was finished. Couldn't go out there and play anymore because my lungs were battered. Um, you know, I, I, I was on, I still take five, six meds a day um, to, to allow me to function at about 70% is what I'm sort of at now. So I was in this position where, so my American thing has stopped. My football career looked like it was halting at 18. Um, and I was I was still quite ill. Um, and I was just coming back. So I was sat at home thinking, well, I want to stay in football. And this, for me, was a was a massive turning point. And, you know, I, I'm not going to go really somber, but I had also had an issue where, so my best friend killed himself in lockdown. Um, so there, there was quite major events in my life, which was a little bit of a turning point for me. Um, my best friend died. Um, due to mental health issues um, and I'd obviously fallen ill and my football career was finished which I'd given 10, 12 years of my life for so I think that point was where I had the choice I had a couple of ways I could have gone there um, thankfully I think I chose the right one um, but I had the choice of I think I could have gone down a little bit of a bad path uh, like a genuinely bad one because my career path was going to completely change here and I'd also lost someone who I considered my closest my closest friend completely. Um, but for me, it, it, it sort of sent me the other way in terms of I need to start being accountable. I need to start being consistent. I need to give back a little bit here and help footballers. So I set up a sports management sort of mentorship company, um, which grew quickly. Um, 
I was sort of becoming quite well known, um, which ended up in me landing a job at 20, um, three leagues of professional system, um, which, you know, is a whole other story, but I landed that job um, after receiving, I received two or three job offers at 20 um, due to my agency work being becoming well-known and I, I had good connections and literally made that people ask me all the time, how, how did you build an agency? How do, how do you, how do you do that? Um, I had a few connections, you know, for my playing days and stuff, but I created that from my bed because I couldn't leave it. And that sounds ridiculous, but I was just putting all my energy into that, which, you know, granted wasn't a lot. Um, but I, there was a, there was a, a different determination in me that I'd ever had from a playing point of view, because I knew if I didn't, um, if I didn't make this happen, no one sort of was, um, cause I was a little bit stuck here. So I just started posting consistently, started reaching out to people, started email outreaching, started picking up the phones, different people. Um, and I was, I was always, you know, one thing people I think would say about me is that I am honest in terms of something's not going well, I will say, and if I'm not good at something, I'll say, but if I am good at something, I come across almost overconfident. You know, when I knew, I, I, I found school, and I've always found academics and um, from an education point of view, fairly comfortable and easy. So I knew if I could, I could set up a business and I knew I could be profitable. Um, but it did develop a lot quicker than I thought. And I went from on my peds when my football career finished to six months later, becoming the youngest manager ever, getting called by all the papers and all the BBC and ITV. I had a lot of media attention on me. Um, and also had a functioning sports management company where we were getting 30, 50, 60 players a day messaging us, you know, 500 players a week. Um, and it was like, wow, that was a, that was a whirlwind. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a very sort of short overview of it, but that's a sort of brief, my life turned upside down really, really quickly. Um, which I think I'm still adapting to, to a certain degree. Um, but I've sort of come to terms with it a little bit more now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your friend, and then on top of that, the the blood clot. I mean, that's it's a sequence of events where it's when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Uh, I had a friend who was uh actually in London, and he on his debut for his team, he tore his meniscus, and then afterwards, he had another few events. And I was, I told him when it rains, it pours. And then for me, I recently had surgery. They thought I had cancer. Thankfully, it wasn't. But as soon as I moved to Budapest, I then go back into hospital. It was nothing. It's not not related to um, the surgery at all. And when it rains, it it pours, and it's tough. But one thing that I have to really give you credit for, and you were kind of alluding to this as well, which is completely warranted. It's, you could have gone down a path that most people would have after those events. Most people wouldn't be where you are right now in your shoes. Most people would be down either a very bad road or a road where they're asking for sympathy or they're they're needing something. You created something, which credit to you, that's very impressive. So, yeah. and, and on top of that, you did something that no one in the UK has done, which is also a little bit crazy. Like, hats off to you. So, I, I think that it's very, very impressive no. the accountability and action that you took. So, that, that's just what I wanted to say there. Um, now, talking about, and this is just a brief question that you can go over. So, go on. when you were playing football and you had this, let's say you had to get taken out of football. Mm. What were you then thinking then? And I'm assuming, right, you've always wanted to be in football. Mm. Was it natural for you to then go into coaching and, and sports management? Or was there some kind of um, outside thing where there was like, you were, you're playing tug of war, you're not sure where to go? I think if you'd have asked anyone I played with, who's the one playing team that will go and manage... I think 99% would probably say me. And that, that was a curse for me, like I said, growing up. Because I, we were, the manager would be managing and he'd walk out the room. And this is literally from 12, 13. And I would tell the team how we're playing today. And that was just me. You know, I, I am someone who, um, I'm, I'm not very good at being told what to do, basically, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and I've come to accept that now. You know, I need to, 
not necessarily that I need to be in charge and it's a power thing. It's more, I'm someone that I know that if I'm at 100% and I'm giving 100%, it will take a lot for someone to be doing more than what I'm doing in terms of output. So the way I see that is from a management point of view, I think, yeah, I think that was a natural calling. Um, and then from a sports management point of view, I think a lot of that was frustration. People ask me a lot. I mean, I was on a call before this podcast with someone who, who booked in a one-to-one -one call with me, and he's a he's a sort of young, aspiring agent. Um, and he was sort of saying to me, you know, what made you get into it? And I, I hadn't really thought about that. And I, I sort of said to him, I think it was anger, anger at how I was treated as a youngster, because I hundred percent look back and think, okay, now Sammy, there's no way you did that, or there's no way you decided that was the best thing to do. But I also look back and go, I was also 14, 15, 16. He's so young. You know, I speak to lads now in in the company who approach me and parents approach me at 16, 17, and they seem so young to me. And that's me speaking at 21, going on 22. Um, and I look back now and some of the treatment that I had around 14, 15 was horrendous. You know, I, I was having situations... You know, and I'm not, I'm not going to say individuals, but I, I will say clubs. Um, I spoke about it on socials before, but when I was at Luton, um, I'd, I'd, so I'd, I'd been released by Northampton and then got myself signed to Luton. And then my first pre-season game, well, under-16 season, I, I, I slapped my meniscus. Um, so it took me out for about six, seven months, had surgery, all that sort of stuff, um, which basically stopped me from getting a youth team contract at Luton because I was, I was injured, basically. Um, but when... So I came back... Um, I was in rehab and I was getting myself back and I obviously wasn't fit. I hadn't played for six, seven months. Came back to training at Luton and rather, and listen, I get it. It's a business and these guys need to, you know, need to bring the best talent in and all that sort of stuff. But there was no relaxation period for me. Well, there was no settling in period once I got injured. You know, I'd, the first session I was back from a seven month injury, there was a centre back next to me who just got released from Huddersfield who had played for the last seven months and they were putting me and him together on my first session back after seven months out and obviously wearing up the two. You know, when I I couldn't understand that. You know, and that's not me saying um I don't I, I don't appreciate challenge because my business has challenge. You know, I there's hundreds of sports management agencies. So I can accept challenge. What I can't accept is how can you sign someone? How can you commit someone to a contract and then not even have the sort of decency to give get get them fit again before you start challenging them. You know, and I I found that unbelievable. You know, so I was on the back foot when I wasn't even fit. You know, I was never going to win that. So I hadn't kicked a ball in seven months. You know, when you've done your meniscus, you, you can't you can't do anything. You know, from a footballing standpoint. So I found that bizarre. Um, and then just talking about sort of from a sports management company, what why I sort of got into it and natural calling. I mean, another instance which you know I think is an interesting one for footballers who are potentially listening. When I got released from Northampton before I then went and got signed to Luton, I got released from Northampton about 13, 14. If you just said to anyone in my age group who was the one player wouldn't get released, it'd be me. You know, and I had I had a few problems there with in terms of my attitude and all that sort of stuff. But when I was thirteen, they had me playing up the under sixteens and under eighteens. Um, because I was too good for my own age group. And then when they released me, if they had just turned around to me and said, You know what, Sammy, you've got a stinking attitude, uh, we don't think we can work with you, and you need to go and sort your head out before we have any sort of conversation about re signing you. Instead, they pulled me into a meeting and told me that I'm just not good enough. You know, when I look back now and 13 year old me, that that's really playing with someone's head. You know, and I, I went and got signed to a better club, so I proved myself right in that instance. But they basically were lying because they couldn't have that conversation with God of attitude, whether it was a they found it awkward with my parents or I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what it was. But to look back now, to to, to blatantly lie to a thirteen year old was bizarre. You know, and the the, the, the fact proved that. You know, if, if a player isn't good enough to get re-signed. You don't play them four years up, you know? So um, I remember being in that meeting and just thinking, wow, football is a is a, is a strange sport. So I think going into sports management and treating intriguing. people properly, you know, and that's not that's not letting people take liberties, mate. And, you know, you know this, because obviously you've got, you've got a podcast channel and all of these sort of things. But at the same time, it's like, there's a difference between someone not taking you for a, for a mug, um, but also being... Um, a, a good person, you know, and being genuine, um, and sometimes the football is not is not enough for them. So I think, to be honest, yeah, that's, that's quite a long winded answer, but I think both were a natural calling um, to a certain degree, mate. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, it's football is weird, as you said. It's uh, it's confusing, and 
it's interesting hearing your story in the game because everyone's stories are going to be completely different. There's going to be someone in your team where you had a bad experience who had a brilliant experience. Mm. And maybe it's more consistent that there's bad experiences there, but it's going to be completely subjective. Football is the most competitive uh, sport in the world. And it's I like to think that it's the most professionally unprofessional professional sport. Mm-hmm. It's it, it blows my mind. And there's a lot of very, very confusing things. And, and for context, I moved over to Germany at the age of 17. And I was my own agent, essentially. I have Excel spreadsheets. I use LinkedIn. And I'm just doing all of these emails, sending it out, doing it myself and getting myself trials. Um, and people say that I should become an agent because I was my own agent. I also... Um, helped my other friends from Australia who were also trying to get trials. And um, it's a natural calling for quite a lot of people who are having to reflect and take accountability for their path. And it's it's interesting to hear how you got to that point as well. Now, one massive thing that I really wanted to talk about with you is overcoming that age gap. Mm. Now, why I want to talk about this with you is because if you're... 21 mm. and then having to then tell other people who are 25 30 mm. whatever maybe even 20 how are you meant to then tell them what to do and how are they meant to then take you seriously because no offense even if with age if if i was being told to do something by someone my age mm. i'm gonna have to respect them completely to actually do what they say and i'm not saying that that's because i'm arrogant or whatever it's just that they have to i'll do what they say if they've earned my respect now Mm. sammy from from just speaking with you i can tell that you're a very respectful person and 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 i can see how you garner that respect i see how you could earn that respect but going into an environment whether it's career advice whether it's you being the the manager how do you manage that age gap sure um difficult really really difficult um when i went into my first managerial job uh what i had was a situation where the papers were on it before i'd even walked in so there was this sense of so the, the, my captain when i first went in was 36 so obviously when a 20 year old comes in who's nearly half their age um and starts telling him how he should be playing um that's difficult I get that um and they are conversations that I, that I had with some of these individuals. Um, the way I see it is a couple of things. Um, people respect you if they believe in what you're saying. It's a big thing. Um, I think what I had was a situation where my respect... When I walked into the job with, with, with Yaxley and the, the job I took, when I sort of took the youngest manager or whatever, um, they'd lost 25 games in a row. So like it or lump it, you know, I always say football is a is a stats based game. You can't argue with stats. You can't argue with how many goals you scored. You can't argue with how many wins you've got. You can't argue with that. You know, so what I said, I remember going to the dressing room, I got introduced by the chairman, um, went in front of the lads and we had the conversation where we you know, they were sort of all that introductory crap and all that sort of stuff. And I sort of said that the facts are the club has lost twenty five games in a row. Okay, so whether you don't like the fact that a very young manager's come in, whether you don't like the fact that I, I've got a mentorship advice company or whatever, where I look after different footballers and I have other motives within football, um, whether you don't like that, whether you just don't like me as a bloke, um, the facts are um, this is a losing group. It's a losing group. You know, you you can argue with this, you can argue with that. We can have different opinions. That's that's fine. You know, I'm not going to hold it against you personally. But what me and you won't argue on is this is a losing group. So something needs to change. You know, and until I walked in, the, the club hadn't won a game that season. You know, and listen, was there challenging with it? Yeah, 100%. But I look back at it and I go, okay, I won my first two out of my first four games. Um, so I won in three games. I won more than they had in the 33-game season. Um, I had no budget, pretty much. My budget was one of the lowest in the league. I had all the media stuff on me. We got the club to a first cup final winning a semi-final and I was there I think in eight years um, 
there was a lot of things going against us. And listen, I also lost 8-0 away from home. And I remember that day, like, you know, anything, you know. So there was also problems in terms of that um, and things I learned. But I think in terms of how do you how do you bruise the age gap from a management point of view, biggest thing is what you're saying, what value are you saying? Um, and you, you have got to be careful what you say. Of course you can. You know, I can't be going in there saying, I've done this and I've done that. So my life experience is lower than that of a lot of players in my dressing room. I've got to appreciate that. But I think what the players came to terms with was there was some there was some truth or a lot of truth to what I was saying, especially once you win a game. You know, like once we won a game, things changed a lot. Because all of a sudden, once you've won a game and you're the person to do it, all of a sudden everyone thinks you're the saviour. You know, I actually look back now and I, I would change this differently if I went into another job, which I intend to do in a couple of months um, here in Wales. But I think I was too high after the first win. I think I got myself a little bit carried away and that was a learning curve for me from that and something I will learn for next time. You know, I should have let the people around me get carried away. But I think, you know, not massively, but I think I was too excited with the win that I, I brought to the football club. You know, I think we were we were bottom of the league and we beat a playoff side. You know, we beat a side that I think was sitting sixth in the league and had a lot of budget. Um, you know, and we beat them convincingly 3-1. You know, and I was, I thought this was a turning point. And then two weeks later, you lost two on a bounce. And all of a sudden, you know, I went from, I mean, after we won the, after we, so we won the league game, then we won the cup semi-final the game after. And that was in the space of five days. After the cup semi-final, I was getting calls from everyone. Absolutely everyone. Because all the media outlets, all the papers, um, I had different chairmen follow me on LinkedIn from clubs three, four leagues higher. Um, I got emailed by head of academies about potential jobs. It was basically like, wow, this kid's going to be the next big thing. I then lost my next four. You know, so there, I think I, I got myself a little bit too high from that. But in terms of putting the age gap from a management point of view, I think value in what you're saying is really important. And also, you have got to give back. You know, and by winning, I gave back to a certain degree and, and earned a bit of respect. Um, but not everyone can accept it. You know, I also had four or five in my dressing room that, I had some that weren't good enough and I got rid straight away. I also had some that couldn't accept my age. Just couldn't do it. Especially the lads who were in their 30s. They just couldn't. They might not say it to me, you know, and I'm, I'm quite an upfront character. So I think I, it helps from the fact that I probably taught like I'm a little bit older. Um, I've also got a beard and, you know, maybe maybe come across a little bit older. But, um, you know, so maybe the players wouldn't say it to me directly. What I have was, you can tell by facial expressions. Do you know what I mean? I remember one lad, I was sort of, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but I'd, I'd be saying a few things to him and you could sense he wasn't taking it on. You could sense he didn't like it. You know, and he'd, he'd been around the block and played that level a lot and he probably just thought, listen, who the fuck's this kid to be telling me what to do? The kid's half my age. I get it. I understand it, mate. I, I got rid of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I wasn't in a convincing game. I didn't have time, you know, and I got rid and, and brought in some younger players who I knew and would, would, would understand what I was doing a bit more. Um, I think also you you have a moment in management and that we lost a game four and away from home um, and I completely lost it at half-time. And, and I do have that in me as a, as a person, especially when it comes to football in terms of, I think when I lost it in that period, there's probably done a bit of respect that was sort of given to me in that moment, you know, that it wasn't that I was going to take liberties, you know, and I, I probably lost it a bit too much, you know, when, for the viewers, and this might get you a few views if you flip this, but... I threw a bottle um, into a changing room um, at half time and it's gone through the changing room wall out the other side, you know, and the whole dressing room was like fucking hell, you know, and that, I think that, and, and that wasn't a show thing, that was a genuine, I was, I couldn't believe what I was watching, you know, we weren't following the game plan and I think that was also a sign of respect in terms of, okay, this kid's not going to take, not going to take your shit to a certain degree. Um, they didn't know that already, they sort of knew that now. Um, so that was another thing. Um and going on to sports management company, do you know what, mate? I've, I've not found the age a big problem with that sort of stuff. I actually haven't. Um, and I, I'd say 60% of my clients are older than me. Um, re, my, my business has grown to a point now where I've got a lot of success stories and lands who have pushed on to higher levels within my company. So I've got a lot of um, sort of evidence to back up what I'm saying. Whereas in management, I had a couple of wins. Do you know what I mean? So you might say, oh, you might have got lucky or you might have been lucky or draw. When you've helped 600, 700, 800 lads progress to the next level, that's not luck. That's that's a pattern, you know? So I, that doesn't actually even get brought up to me anymore. Um, and that's because not just myself, but my team as well have 
have built our company up to a position where our reputation within that world, and we need to keep developing it, is good. It, it is good, and it is in a position where age doesn't actually come into it. So I've not found the age gap to be a problem at all, actually, in the sports management company. But from a management point of view, mate, 100%, um, you've got to stamp it out, you've got to add value to what you're saying, and you've got to go and provide evidence with results because you'll be charged as a manager quite simply on results. You can have your best training week, you can play brilliantly, you lose 1-0, no one gives a fuck. No one gives a fuck. They don't, you know, that people see it as that you won or you lost. You know, I mean, you look at Man United tonight, you know, they've, they've, they've drawn 3-3. The the angle tomorrow morning in the papers will be Man United a terrible 10 arg out. You know, but the actual fact is I watch the game, Man United are really good, you know, and the keepers let them down. You know, so you won't find that anywhere. United playing really well, best attack and performance of the season. You know, so there's also a perspective on it um, and you'll be judged by results and, that's something that people need to learn, need to learn quickly within football if they're not they're not aware of that yet. Yeah. The the managerial role is typically set for failure. And it's kind of something that you just have to accept. And when you look at the best teams in the world, they go through managers pretty often. I mean, with a few exceptions. It's it's more of a common theme that it's turnover, and it's it's hard to get around because sometimes those results are not completely in your control. You don't have complete control over the players' mentality at halftime. You have influence. Don't get me wrong, and if your influence is good enough or or big enough, then you can start to have more control. But you can't have complete control over the situation, and only the best will have the biggest influence. And it's a, it's a tricky one to manage. And I'm sure that this is something that you've had to think about, learn and, and, and go about just even working on small things with the team, whether it's a team night out, whatever it is, it, it, it's, it's working that. And I'm sure also that there's a big hurdle for you when it's now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the players that you are coaching, hey, actually, they're not professional, but no, at time. Part-time, yeah. And do they have ambitions of going professionally or are they taking it pretty relaxed? You know, I mean, I, I came out of the job at the back end of last season and um, I think in the in the, in the the period in which I was there, um, you also, when you're in a part-time club where players are getting paid to play and not full-time, um, you're also wearing that up. You also have, a diff- everyone's got different motivation. You know, I, you might have a lad who's 30 who's got no ambitions to play any higher He's happy to pick up £200 a week, play for his local club, and he's quite good at football. And one's had a bit of a career. But then I've also had lads who were been at professional premiership clubs for 10, 12 years, and they come out, hadn't got themselves back into professional club, and were having to drop down with the full intention of pushing on again. So how you deal with them has to be different, has to be different. And obviously that's where, obviously, sort of man management comes in in terms of how are you speaking to different people because everyone's got... I had some lads who couldn't wait to go for a beer after the game. Um, which was new to me, which is something that you have to deal with for the level. And I had other lads who wouldn't dare even touch a drink on the weekend. You know, so it's a massive, massive difference. You know, you, you have lads who are getting pissed, trying to get pissed after games, which seems unprofessional, but they were just saying, well, this is part-time football, this is how it goes. And you've got other lads who have been two-year pros at Premier League clubs, which is what we had with a, with a case of one of our players, um, who that sort of lifestyle just... This is someone who's trading with Harry Kane, Deli Alley six months ago. You know, like this isn't someone who understands drinking pints of Stella after a game. You know, so yeah, that that's a really big way up. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, with it being semi-pro, um, you do have to deal with that, and that's something that you have to really consider when you when you take the job, mate. In, especially in a sort of part-time game. Yeah, for sure. That 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 would be very difficult in terms of managing all these players and. I know what it's what it's like in in the level that I've played at, but typically the level that I've played at, because in Australia it's not as competitive. I'd say that everyone that I've ever met in football wants to go professional. So I haven't I haven't seen that other side completely. I've been on a few trials where, um, okay, some players are like that, but it's uh I would assume a very difficult job to actually man manage the players because maybe the biggest problem for some of these teams that you're you're helping and coaching is not their ability 
it's actually what they're doing with football at that time. And now, of course, tactics and whatnot have a big, a big chunk to deal with, you know, the result. But you only have influence at the end of the day, as I was saying. And the biggest influence that you might have in that dressing room is the characters, not the playing ability. As much as it can help, maybe at this level, it is the character. So it's it's a very, very difficult job for yourself there, I would imagine. Um, Now, just talking about the future for you, Sammy. What does that look like? Where where do you want to take the next the next step in your career? What does the next five years look like for you, ideally? And, and what steps are you actually taking to get there? Yeah, sure. Um, I think as I said to you before, two things on that. Firstly, every day is really important, really important. Um, everyone, I watch a lot of podcasts and interviews, and it always I always find it interesting. Probably like yourself. Um, and I hear a lot about plans and how I get to certain places. Put in the work. Put in the work every day. You do that, you'll get to where you need to be. Um, you know, I, I have very much longer term goals. And I, the way I see it is I, I don't necessarily set goals. I set statements of, of, of things that will, will, will happen. Um, I don't see them as I want them to happen. I'll, I'll make sure they happen. You know, so I'll, if I was to list the two for you, I've got two very clear ones. I'll be in Forbes under 30. I can guarantee that. Um, 21 now, I think where my company, where myself can go with other businesses within the next eight, nine years, I think is crazy. I think I have the ability and I think I've got the reach to do that. Um, and I also think I'm managing the Premier League, which brought me a lot of, uh, yeah, stick to a certain point um, on, on certain social medias, Twitter being one. When I said that in a few papers, um, and a few weird DMs from people and this or that. Um but no, I, I I do believe that will happen. I do genuinely believe that will happen. You know, if someone said to me, you know, you're gonna go and do something that's completely unrelated to to what I'm passionate about, no, I wouldn't think that's gonna happen. You know, some people say things to me and I know straight away I'm not capable of doing that. You know, I I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, but I genuinely you know, genuinely believe those those two things will happen. And I hope in, in 10 years or whatever, mate, we, we have another conversation and these things have happened. And, you know, amazing if they have. But I, I, I am not 99% certain. I am 100% certain those things will happen. And that's because um, we, and that's for myself, that's that's from a company perspective and also work we put in on the outside, consistent, turn up every day. Um, biggest learning, you know, we might get onto this in a minute, but biggest learning for me is um, weekends don't exist. Remember that. Um, anyone listening, weekends, they're not a thing. If you're waiting for Friday, you've got an issue. You've got an issue that you need to sort out if you want to be successful. Okay. And if you don't, that's cool. That's absolutely fine. I don't think anyone should be forced into feeling as if they need to be an entrepreneur or they need to be mega successful or they need to be mega wealthy. I, I totally get it. If you want a certain sort of life, go for it. You know, and I, I hear this stuff a lot. Well, how can I enjoy if I have no weekend or that sort of stuff? The way I see it is if you're 30 and in your bank, you've got 50 million, trust me, you'll enjoy. You know, so um, short-term sacrifices for long-term gains. And that's all very cliche stuff, which you hear and go, fuck me, another one saying it, get it, seen it all. You know, I get that. Um, and after a while, it becomes repetitive. You just hear the same things, but turn up every day. Set yourself targets of what you want to achieve over the course of a week, um, over the course daily, and you know you'll you'll, you'll get to a good spot. Um, for anyone listening to this, and don't worry too much. I think to, for three-year goals or, or five-year goals, I mean you've got so much work you've got to do this week, let alone in five years. You know, so um, if you put the work and you're consistent, you'll you'll be rewarded, and that's the biggest thing I found um, in my sort of career from a management point of view, but also from a business and an entrepreneur point of view. Um, so far, me. Yeah, awesome. the The one thing that's uh, stood out to me there is, and take this as a compliment, actually. Yeah, no, for it. The delusion. Now, it's. I don't think you're delusional, but people will hear that and think you're delusional. You've probably been told that. Yeah, now, a lot. Yeah, and, and that is not a bad thing because for other people, they may think you're delusional, but for you and me. No, it's it's actually realistic because you know if anyone was going to do it, it would be me, right? That's that's the same thing I say. And you can say that, 
if you're putting in the work. But if you're not putting in the work, then and and you say that, then yeah, sure, you're delusional. But to you and me, no, that's actually kind of realistic. And, and you know one thing, sorry to interrupt you there, mate, but something just to really that's really you know valid on that point. So my stepdad, when I was nineteen, and I was sort of um, obviously teenage or whatever, and my stepdad alluded to this. Me and my stepdad always have a laugh about this. I remember being sat. Um, in my lounge, and my stepdad was literally just watching, I had the TV on, and I turned around to him and said, Do you know what? I think I'm going to, genuinely, I think I'm going to become the youngest manager in the UK ever. I think I'm going to do it. And then he turned around to me and just said, You are. You know, I was playing football at the time, and I just said to him, I'm so sure of it. I've watched these managers, you know, in post match interviews, how they talk, how they present themselves, and I always think, What the fuck is that? I mean, that is just horrendous. Um, and he said, No, listen, mate, you know, the youngest, the youngest, you know, chance are you going to get it at like 30, late 20s at an absolute push is around when those sort of things are going to happen. A year later, you know, when I gave him the call and said, listen, I just landed a job here um, at 20. Um, we always go back to that conversation because like you just said there, he thought I was mental. He thought I was crazy saying something like that. How are you going to manage a, a group? Um, a couple of leads off the professional system at 20. I, I was, how would you do that? Um but I genuinely, 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 and if you know me, you you know these things, I genuinely think these things, I genuinely believe those things will happen. Um, and everything I've set my mind to, to an absolute degree, um, does happen. Um, and I look back now, I didn't want, um, I look back now, mate, I didn't have a sacrifice needed to be a professional footballer. Didn't have it. Just didn't have it. Um, I love football. Um, I didn't enjoy the training on my own and the sacrifices needed to be a professional footballer. I didn't enjoy it enough. From an entrepreneurial point of view and from a management point of view, I enjoy it a lot. I actually like it. Um, so the goals are very different. I look back now and I could have 100% have given more in my career. And I always people always wonder, why didn't I do that? The, the, the key point for me was I didn't want it enough. I didn't want it enough. I didn't want the career enough. Whereas I look at people now and I see someone driving past in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, or those sort of things, and I, I want those things. You know, I want to be that person where you go, "Wow, how has he done that?" Because the feeling is amazing. Um, when I went to the away ground managing, you know, you might have seven hundred people watching, and you got all these blows in the crowd. They're looking at you, thinking, "Fuck me, how's that? How's that kid done it?" I like that feeling. I like that feeling of people going, "I wish I, I want to be that person. I want the person to be doing that." Um, and that's how I measure success. How. Um, you're viewed by people around you and also how much money you make you know and people are sometimes scared to say those things i think you know people talk about um you know i want to be loved by my family i want to be in a relationship for me bullshit absolute bullshit i couldn't you know you're viewed by how much money you make okay what can you do with your life um and how other people view you you know and I, i'm happy to say that you know i i crave those things you know i crave i crave attention to a certain degree you know, i hold my hands up to that you know, I, I like it. I like talking, like I said to you at the start, I, I like talking about myself. I, I like those things. And that's not me being selfish because, you know, if anyone's going to help you out, you know, you know, within my friendship group, I will, you know, but I also like to be involved. I like to be that person where everyone goes, wow, how has Sammy done that? You know, and they're, they're big things for me. Um, and like you said, I think it's so true. I think you, you, you have got to be a little bit crazy where people look at you and go, this kid's not, he's, this, he's not something going on there. Um, I think having a little bit of that is is really key, and I think anyone I've met is successful does tend to have that similar trait. Where they're almost they say things that are a joke, but they say it with a straight face, so you don't really know. You don't you get a little bit confused. You think they're joking, but they're not actually. Their facial expression is not changing, um, and that's when you know someone's serious when they're saying things which sound crazy, but their facial expression is as if they're talking about a cup of tea. Um, that's always something that I, I always notice in, in successful people. But no, sorry, mate. I, that's thought I just add that little bit there. Well, yeah, it's um, yeah, you're right. And and one thing that I liked there was talking about the mask. That I, I call it a mask. You said that you crave attention. Well, Sammy, everyone craves attention. You're just admitting it, which is something that most people aren't aren't self aware enough to do, or aren't comfortable in doing most people for, for me the the way that i crave attention is probably a similar way it's, it's through the results it's through me doing x y or z and that to some people seems wrong but i'm telling you right now every single person and maybe some 
uh, less extreme and some are more extreme than others. But to a degree, humans, we are wired to crave attention. We need attention. We're, we're, we're social beings. And with being social, attention is warranted and it's granted. And you saying that you crave that is just you being aware of what that mask is. Your mask and your vessel for attention is your results and you're trying to do it through football right now. Everyone does it. They just may mask their their desire better than others. Maybe they are unaware enough to say or maybe it's not even worth them admitting it. But it's not a weird thing that, Sammy, you crave attention because everybody does. And it, it's sometimes the way that you speak for, for some people. It's sometimes the way that they act. I mean... There's, I could go on for days about all all different people using masks. You could you could give me an example of someone, and it's very easy to deconstruct where they're, they're craving attention from it and what mask they're using to do so and what vessel they're actually using to then garner more attention. But uh, that's a very interesting topic, and, and I was it's a little bit off topic, but I liked that you admitted that because most people probably wouldn't admit that. Well, the but people very- always hear the same thing, right, mate? What key traits of successful people? And you hear the cliche thing, hardworking, wake up at 5 a.m. You know, you hear all of these things all the time. The biggest one I use, I, I use this every single time, is unembarrassable. I am completely unembarrassable. I, I don't care. I, I honestly don't care. Honestly, I, I have no... Um, and it gets me in a pickle sometimes, but nothing embarrasses me. You know, I, I will have any conversation with anyone and I will tell you what I'm thinking at all times um and that's put me in a pickle but it's also put me in some amazing positions um and I, I, i'm comfortable with that i'm comfortable being like that you know i i will say things in, in group situations where people turn around and go there's no way he's just said that that's me being honest you know I'd, I'd rather everyone be transparent with each other and be completely unembarrassable and whenever i speak to someone who has no fear about what they say um you know i love play i love having players in football who i coach he will just take the ball at any at any point. You know, they'll, they'll just come and get it. You know, they, they don't need to be told. They want the ball at all times, and they will take it at any point in front of however many people, in front of however many scouts, and they're unembarrassable. If they make a mistake, they make a mistake. Brilliant. Hold your hands up, okay? But I love players like that because that's that's not just a key feature in football. I think that's a really key feature in life. And if they take that into business or academic work, um, I think that will put you in a in a position where people would almost fear you to a certain degree and you'll almost become crazy crazy good if you have this just sense of i don't care if i want to post this i'll post it i want to say this i'll say it do you know what i mean people will eventually take notice of that you know i think people love playing a sort of sheep role i think i see it so many times someone says something that everyone agrees do you know what i mean like have your own opinion have your own opinion because you know if you don't then what's what's the point of you sort of being in the conversation at all you know i I see some of my friends even. I have a go at some of my friends sometimes because someone will say something and the easiest thing to do is just to agree to what they're saying. And I'll always be the person to turn around and say, hey, that is crap. That is absolute crap. Like it, I lump it. I just don't agree. You know, so um, no, totally. Unembarrassable, I think, is a key, key trait. I think it's actually more important than hard work. You can work as hard as you want, but if you haven't got that sort of genuine no fear mentality i think you'll struggle i think you'll struggle to open the right paths for you uh, um so totally unembarrassable is a massive massive component of success i think mate yeah and and on how did you get to the point where you realized that that was something that you needed was it actually through being embarrassed that's that's an interesting one because I, i'm thinking to firstly if you were completely unembarrassed uh, unembarrassable your whole life then you wouldn't necessarily see that as a valuable asset so to me you've had it before and correct me if i'm wrong but you've probably had it before where you've been embarrassed and you've been Mm. x y or z maybe you've been scared to post this maybe you've been scared to say this maybe you've been embarrassed by by your actions in the past and how did you get to the point to where you realized that that was valuable to be unembarrassable big events have shaped that mate big events and that's um I understand not everyone has different timings of when things happen. I'm in a position where I've had quite major events happen quite young, which has shaped that. Um, puts into perspective a lot of things. Puts into I've been released three times by professional clubs. I've been in that position three times. While around my GCSEs, you know, um, 
I've had a fractured relationship with certain parts of my family. You know, um, my best friend dying in lockdown, um, falling ill, my football career ending at 18. Some of them are quite heavy hitting things that people at 40 or 50 would struggle with. Um, because having that all 18 and under, they do shape you into a point of when you're in, when, when I was sat in my bed, literally unable to leave my bed for six, seven, eight months, my perspective on life completely shriveled 360, completely. And it's like I came out with almost fresh mindset and, and everything, completely. And that shaped managing, that shaped my company, um, and it shapes how I approach different people I even employ in my company now. Um, the perspective you have when your health goes and you can't do something that you basically love doing is completely different. You realize that that one thing you say to someone doesn't mean anything. You realize that that post you make doesn't mean anything. You know, so go and do it. Just do it. And if it doesn't work, you learn for next time that you don't want to do that or you might adapt it. Um, but if you never try, you never know. You know, so I think too many people, even in their 30s, 40s, 50s, mate, are so scared of what other people think. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. They might think about it for five minutes, stick you in a group chat and take a piss for a minute. By tomorrow, they're forgotten. You know, and I always say, they'll, you'll be the ones laughing when you're uber successful. You know, so remember that. Um, those sort of short terms of embarrassment aren't really anything. Um, but yeah, the, the, the shapings come from, from, from major life events, mate, which appreciated some people don't have. And if you've not had those life events um, as of yet and you feel like you can't relate, um, listen to other people's life events and then um, follow suit in terms of having that sort of mindset. And when they do come, like you said, trying to turn it from a negative into a positive in terms of, do you know what? Can I take a positive out of this hugely traumatic situation um, and turn this on its head and go, do you know what? I couldn't have been any lower so that only way it's up, you know, rather than sink even lower. Can't affect it now. You know, my best friend died. Listen, was that something that pains it all the time? Yeah, of course it is. But can I change that? No, I can't. You know, I can't. I can't come back. You know, I can't. I can't. I could sit here and write songs about him and sit in bed and watch Netflix every night for five because I'm just so depressed. And, you know, I can go out and I don't want to go out with you guys because I miss him too much. All of those things. But that's not, he's not going to come back, is he? You know, so just trying to move forward with it, um, I think is really, really important. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Now, more of the time. We're, we're at the one hour mark now. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to wrap it up. Um, now, what are three ways that Sammy Leonard sculpts himself on a daily basis? Now, for context, what that means sculpting the whole podcast, everything we do here. Sculpting is the analogy that we have. Rather than grinding, we prefer to sculpt because at the end of the day, you want to be left with a beautiful sculpture, not dust. And grinding will leave you with dust. Sculpting will leave you with a statue. So what are three ways that you try and sculpt yourself on a daily basis, whether it's through journaling, reflection, meditation, whatever it is, what are three ways that you sculpt yourself? Have an accountability within myself. So, for example, I have just notes on my phone. How many times a day am I posting on different social media channels? Um, remaining consistent on that, owing it to myself a little bit. Um, second thing is I will spend a little bit of time every day thinking about how far I've come. That's a big thing. Don't note it down. You know, it might be that I might be in bed, going back to sleep, and have that have that thought. Um, it might be a conversation with a colleague. You know, and constantly remind myself and the people around how far I've come in a short amount of time and how much I've achieved. So when I don't close a deal or um, I've got a player in bad form, which impacts us financially, for example, put that into perspective um, and really take that into account. So reminding people around us how far you've come, being the second one. Um, you know, and, and just touch on the whole journaling and meditation thing. Listen, I'm not um, sitting there and saying all those things are crap. I'm not saying that because you've got to be more open-minded than that. Um, I can see there's definitely positives in those sort of things. However, what I would say is, again, I think sometimes people get a little bit carried away with the whole idea of you've almost got to follow these sort of things in terms of just because you see X, Y, and Z doing it means therefore I'm going to make this big life change. Consistency is your is your biggest thing. It's your biggest thing. Forget meditating, forget journaling, forget any of that. If you turn up every single day, 
you will do well. You know, and you just have to put more hours than everyone else. So from a sort of sculpting point of view, um, however you want to put it, just consistency every single day. And just touching on the thing, the best thing I ever heard was weekends don't exist for successful people. They just don't exist. You know, and if you're living for the weekend, change. And if you're finding it hard to change, put yourself through a barrier where you don't go out for two or three weeks. Okay, and then get into a bit of rhythm. Um, and remember that Saturdays are Mondays, Sundays are Tuesdays. You do that, you'll, you'll be successful because most people switch off Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday. So if I'm working on those days, um, guess who's in front? I am. So remember that. Um, so they're, they're probably the three things, mate. Awesome. Yeah, sculpting looks different for everyone else. And as you said, you see someone doing X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean it's working for you. And you have to just experiment with what you should try, what you shouldn't try. And, and sculpting is not adding all the time. It's removing. And when you're thinking of that analogy, when you're chiseling away at the sculpture, how often are you adding other pieces of stone? You're not. You're actually removing. Mm. And it's getting rid of things a lot of the time. So that is um, a little bit on sculpting. But Sammy, I am very grateful for your time. And I think that it was an amazing insight to get to know you a bit more. I hope that, you know, you can use this platform to also help you in, in your own in your own career right now as well. Um I think that there's a lot of amazing insights here for our listeners, right? The the biggest thing for me when I when I went through your profile was your age and and the things that you're doing and and of course people can be even younger than both yourself and myself and be at a higher pedigree in terms of fame, but they're not telling people older than them how they're meant to play X, Y, or Z. They're not saying, you know what? You need to do this in your career, and I'm the I'm I'm the person who's telling you to do it. Let it have that. And and your word at your age has to be validated by something. And from this conversation, I can see where that's being validated from. Um but Sammy, I really appreciate your time again. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. No, I appreciate it, matey. Thank you for uh thank you for your time and a hundred percent will We'll, we'll do this conversation again in the sort of near future and, and see where we're at, mate. And um, yeah, no, wicked, mate. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. Easy.